this past Thursday, I had a chance to go visit some of our uh, members in local hospitals. And so I got to visit with them, pray with them, and on my way back, I looked down and I looked at my gas gauge and I could tell I was about to run out of gas. And so I pulled into the gas station and I was filling up my truck. And as I was putting gasoline in the tank of my car, I began to have these kind of thoughts. Since I've been thinking about Philippians all week, the book of joy. What if each and every one of us had a tank down inside us, but it wasn't a fuel tank, it was a joy tank? And what if there was some way to have a gauge to indicate how much joy was in our tank? Maybe it would be an app on our cell phone. Who knows? Wouldn't that be interesting? And so if you had an app that indicated how much joy was in your joy tank today, what would your gauge look like? Would it look like the gauge over here? Yeah. Lewis, my tank is full. My tank is so full it's overflowing. I'm just experiencing the joy of the Lord. Or would you get really honest and say, well, my joy tank looks a little more like this one. Lewis, I'm struggling. I've lost my joy. I I can't seem to get it back. I'm, I'm really struggling. And then there's all the degrees in between. Some of you would say, well, my tank stays about half full. And then there are probably a few of you that would say, well, my needle does this all day long. <laughs> full of joy, empty. Full of joy, empty. What's really interesting about the book of Philippians, which is referred to, to many as the book of joy, Paul, the apostle Paul, the writer of this tiny book, mentions the word joy 16 times in just four chapters. Paul had obviously found the secret of living with a tank full of joy. But what makes Philippians even more interesting to me is that when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, he wrote it from his prison cell in Rome as he was chained to a Roman guard. So what was Paul's secret? How was he able to experience joy in the midst of negative circumstances? Well, his secret was really no secret. His secret was pressing in to know Christ and to know him better and better and better. And the more that he pressed in to know Christ, the higher his joy tank was filled. And so we're looking at the book of Philippians today. If you'll turn with me to Philippians 3, chapter 17 through 4, chapter 4, verse 1. And I would like to talk to you today about three practical steps to grow closer to Jesus. If the key to experience a full joy tank is being closer with Jesus, then I'd like us to look at three steps we could take today to help us grow in Christ and to get our joy tank topped off. So the verses are going to be on the screen. You can look them up in your Bible or um, even on your cell phone. It'd be fine. And let's read this verse together. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. 
Their glory is in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm, and thus in the Lord, my beloved. So three steps to growing closer to Jesus that will result in our joy tanks filling up. Here's step one. Look around for godly examples to follow. Look around. I've got some good news this morning. I've got some bad news. I'm going to start with the good news, and I'll tell you the bad news when I get on my next point. But here's the good news. We become like the people we spend time with. Would you agree with that? Whoever we hang out with, we become like them. We rub off on each other. On Valentine's night, Michelle and I had planned a romantic hot date for Valentine's. We kept all five of our grandkids <laughs> so that our grown children could go out on their hot romantic date. And to make things easy, we ordered pizza and we were all sitting around the table and uh, my middle grandchild, Franklin, was eating his pizza, had grease all over his hands, and he put his pizza down and he reached over and he grabbed my arm, and I was wearing my brand new denim jacket that I'd gotten from my birthday. He rubbed off on me. What was on Franklin <laughs> rubbed off on me. But isn't that true? If I'm doing life with you and you're doing life with me, what's on you is going to rub off on me, and what's on me is going to rub off on you. But even more so, what's in me is going to rub off in you, and what's in you is going to rub off in me. The Christian life is a long journey. And so godly examples give us partners for our journey. Look there in verse 17 where Paul says, imitate me. Well, let's stop right there. Is Paul being boastful? Is Paul being arrogant? It kind of sounds that way, doesn't it? But he's not at all. Because he's already clarified in verses 12 through 16 as he's saying, hey, I'll be the first to tell you, I haven't arrived. I am nowhere close to the place of sinless perfection. I have a long way to go. But my heart's in the right place and I'm straining and I'm pressing forward to know Christ in a more intimate, personal way. You see, Paul's not boasting in himself here. He's boasting in Christ and what Christ has done for him. Paul had experienced the victorious Christian life, a life that overflowed with joy and peace and meaning and purpose, contentment, satisfaction. And what he's telling his friends in Philippi, this is what Christ has done for me. And if he's done this for me, he can do it for you as well. So watch me and imitate me. Verse 17, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I think Paul is saying there, I can't do life with you one-on-one -on -one right now because I'm in a prison in Rome. And Rome is 4,608 miles from Philippi. I looked it up on Google this week. He said, but that's okay. 
there are a lot of other godly examples all around. And so look around and you will find godly examples to follow. You know, the Christian life's a journey, isn't it? And for most of us, it's a long journey. And so godly examples give us partners for our journey. And we need partners. You know why we need partners? Because this Christian journey can get really hard sometimes, can it? And this Christian, Christian journey can get really lonely sometimes. We need others. We need godly examples to follow. For you see, we were made for relationships. We're made for fellowship. We're made to live in community. Even Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. What that tells me, if left by ourselves... It's only a matter of time until we veer off course and drift away from the Lord. Godly examples are so important to have in our lives. One of the most godly examples ever in my life was in my 20s. Michelle and I went to Stephen F. Austin State University. We met there. We stayed there after we graduated. We opened a sporting goods store. And while we were running the sporting goods store in our 20s, I met a man old enough to be my grandfather named Dick Turner. And for whatever reason, we just kind of hit it off. There was kind of this odd couple chemistry there that was just really noticeable. Now, Dick Turner was a retired pharmacist there in Nacogdoches, and he got saved. He gave his life to Christ in his later years. Most people accept Christ in their younger years, but he was in his 40s or 50s when he received Christ. And Christ changed him so much, a lot of people in town called him crazy. Dick Turner would get home from church on Sundays in his 70s and take his little cassette player and an album cover that had B.J. Thomas, hymns from B.J. Thomas, into the Nacogdoches County Jail on Sundays and witness to the people that were locked up. So I got to know Dick, and Dick got to know me. He mentored me. He challenged me. He discipled me. He poured into me. He was very open about his struggles, even in his 70s. Lewis, pray for me. I still struggle with pride and selfishness and impure thoughts and jealousy. So open, so transparent, but what a godly example. And I'll never forget the day he asked me a question. And the word that came out of my mouth. Because the question was, Lewis, would you be willing to start going down to the jail every Sunday with me and witnessing to the prisoners? And I heard myself say, yes. <laughs> and so we started going to the jail together. I'll never forget one day. I walked in the jail. We walked down the long hall. I think it was the second door on the, uh, the second cell on the right. And I got even with it and looked in, and I saw somebody I recognized, and he saw me. And I got startled, and I went deer in the headlights, and I said, what are you doing here? And he looked right back at me. He goes, I'm here because you put me here. He had shoplifted from my store earlier that week, and I had him arrested. <laughs> and just... Here he is in jail, staring at me as I'm about to share the gospel with him. I'm just, you can't make this stuff up. 
But you know what? Dick Turner and I shared the gospel with this young man. And we all got down on the concrete floor of that prison cell. And this man prayed and received Christ that day. Wow, Dick Turner, what a godly example for me to imitate, for me to be like, to strengthen me, to make me want to be more like Jesus. Dick Turner. And what about the Denny's Life Group? Most of y'all know that we were portable church here for five years and seven months at six o'clock in the morning every Sunday. We set up for church, tore down, hauled everything back to the Champions Campus. When you do that for almost six years, you start rubbing off on each other. And a small group of us formed and we started going to Denny's after setup. It wasn't a by invitation only. It was whoever wanted to go. And we started meeting every single Sunday for years. And I'm telling you, that group grew to about 12 men. And now that we've been in this building a year, we still meet for Denny's Life Group. And I'm telling you, some of those men in that group are young enough to be my sons. And some of the men in that group are old enough to be my older brother. <laughs> and so... <laughs> But every single one of those men is a godly example to me. I could tell you and point out things about each one of those men that rub off on me and make me want to be like Jesus. So many people in this church, I've said for so many years, Champion Ford is the greatest church in the world, and here's why. Because we have the greatest people. And I can see people all over this congregation this morning that whether you know it or not, I've singled you out to be a godly role model for me because I've watched you walking with God during the tough times. I've seen you pressing into Christ when you get that bad diagnosis from the doctor. I've seen you trusting Christ more when you've lost your job and had a financial reversal. I've watched you as you've walked through difficult times just growing closer to God. And it's made me want to be a godlier man by watching you. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have godly examples in your life that you have picked out to imitate and to follow? And if not, I want to challenge you and encourage you to join a life group right across the hall. At 9.30 and 11, every Sunday, we have life groups. What's a life group? A life group is a group of people usually um, clustered by age and stage of life. They're not perfect. They have a long way to go, just like all the rest of us. But they love Jesus, and they're growing in their relationship with Him. If you want godly examples, I would challenge you, check out some life groups and pray for God to show you the one that He wants you in. Maybe you want to go deeper. Maybe you need a one-on-one -on -one mentor. Maybe somebody to disciple you. Maybe it's somebody in a life group. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor. Maybe it's somebody at work. Godly examples all around to help you grow in Christ. But then there's another dimension of this same question. Whether you realize it or not, you're being watched. You have a sphere of influence right now, and I would challenge you to ask yourself, what kind of example are you providing? For those that are watching you. And if you need to make any changes, what would those changes be? All right, so if you want to grow closer to Jesus in 2020 and experience more joy, number one, look around for godly examples to follow. Step two, look out and beware of ungodly 
examples. Remember I told you I had some good news and bad news? The good news is we become like the people we spend time with. All right, here's the bad news. We become like the people we spend time with. It's the same news. It's just good or bad based on who we're hanging around and who we're allowing to influence us. People who live as bad examples can rub off on us, and we need to be careful. Yes, God has left us here on earth to cultivate relationships with people that don't know the Lord and people who have drifted from the Lord. But we have to be careful and make sure that we're influencing them for Christ rather than them influencing us to drift from our relationship with Christ. I got saved when I was 18 years old. Born and raised in the church, hardly ever missed, sang the songs, prayed the prayers, participated in the Lord's Supper, lost, non-Christian. I got saved my senior year of high school when I finally understood what it meant to receive eternal life. I was so fired up for Jesus. Went off to college the next year, and the Bible talks about zeal without knowledge. In other words, a lot of emotion and elation and excitement, but not a whole lot of depth. I never had anybody to disciple me, and so I was zeal without knowledge. Met some guys in the dorm, started building relationships. Several of those guys were in a fraternity. They asked me to come check out their fraternity and consider joining. And believe it or not, my goal in getting in the fraternity was to be a witness for Christ and to rub off on the fraternity brothers and draw them to Christ. Well, guess what happened? They rubbed off on me more than I rubbed off on them. And I'm responsible for my actions, but I took a big detour away from walking with Christ, catering to the temptation and to the sin and to that lifestyle. And I have a lot of regrets from those years. And so even though I wanted to be a godly influence on them, they were an ungodly influence on me. What was really interesting in the last service is one of my old fraternity brothers was sitting right there. And I wish I would have said, and you were the worst example. <laughs> he was a pretty bad example, but he's walking with God now, and I love him. But Paul saw that there was a problem in the church of people infiltrating the church who were bad examples. In fact, the word, look here, it says in verse 18 that Paul, the apostle of joy, is now weeping. Tears are literally falling off of his face onto the letter that he's writing because he's so concerned for his brothers and sisters in Philippi that they're going to be influenced to drift away from the relationship with the Lord. And so Paul doesn't name these people, but he describes them. And we'll go through some of this pretty quickly. Verse 18, he says, many walk as enemies of the cross. That's really in direct contrast to Mark 8, isn't it? When Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. If we follow Christ, we're going to be walking with him and towards him. If we're enemies of the cross, we're going to turn and walk away from him. Many scholars believe these enemies of the cross aren't necessarily people who would use their words to deny Jesus, but those who would deny him by the way that they live their lives. 
Verse 19 says their end is destruction. So many of you would go, okay, well, that's clear then. They're lost. Destruction, hell, they've never accepted Christ. They're going to hell. That's probably true for some of them. But did you know that the Greek word translated destruction could also be translated waste? Could it be that some of these people had made a profession of faith? They really were Christians, but because they either got distracted or deceived, they were living a life that if they didn't change by the end of their life, their life would stack up to, say, a wasted Christian life. We have to be careful. Verse 19, their God is their belly. Wow, okay, now that's one of the most graphic phrases in all of, their, of the Bible. Their God is their belly? And so if you were planning to leave here right after this service and go to your favorite restaurant and eat your favorite meal, relax. Paul's not talking about food here. What he's talking about is people living for themselves, people driven to satisfy their fleshly, selfish appetites, and by doing so, making those appetites their God. Driven by earthly cravings for power, possessions, prestige, pleasure, focusing more on acquiring all these things than a heavenly perspective that says live in such a way to bring glory and honor to God. Here's what King Solomon said after many years of indulging in all that life had to offer. I've indulged in every kind of pleasure on the face of the earth. I've had it all and I've done it all. Everything is meaningless. And then the prophet Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. Y'all heard of him? A man viewed of having it all, but yet he says or saying, I can't get no satisfaction. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. None of this is bringing me the kind of satisfaction that we're all looking for in life. It's meaningless. There are no possessions, power, pleasure, prestige that can satisfy. Jesus Christ said in Mark 8.36, What does it profit a man if he gains the entire world, but yet forfeits his soul? Wow. So, is it wrong to have a nice house, to have nice cars, to have nice things, to go on nice vacations, to do fun things with our family and friends? Is there anything wrong with that? And the answer is no. In and of themselves, none of these things are wrong. Here's the deeper question. Do you own your things or do your things own you? Because if your things own you, then the Bible calls that idolatry. It's loving something else more than God, putting something else more than God. And these people that had infiltrated the church were drawing the committed Christians away from their walk with God. Oh, there's so much here. Their glory is in their shame. Not only were they committing shameful acts, but they were taking glory in it. Most sinning is done in the dark. But Paul says these people were sinning out loud and proud of their shameful deeds. And their minds are set on earthly things. Verse 19. Isn't it true that even loyal followers of Christ can get distracted? 
by earthly things and earthly people. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. This is the apostle Peter who walked on water. Matthew 16, Jesus tells him, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. But maybe it's not just people. What kind of things are you maybe involved in that are stealing your joy and tugging you away from your relationship with Christ? What do you look at on the internet? What kind of movies do you watch? What kind of music do you listen to? What are you looking at on this? How much time are you spending on this? When you go to the restaurant today, look around, and you'll find most people eating lunch with their family lost in their cell phone, checking social media. Was social media bad? No. But how much time are we spending on these kind of things compared to how much time are we spending focusing on the kingdom of God? So here's the question. Is there anyone or anything in your life right now that's pulling you away from your relationship with Christ? Is there anyone or anything that's rubbing off on you and being a bad influence? If so, what do you need to do? What kind of changes do you need to make? So first of all, if we want to grow in Christ, let's look around and find godly examples to imitate. Secondly, if we want to grow in Christ, look out for ungodly examples. And thirdly, as we wind down today, step three, look up to heaven where you really belong. Take on an eternal mindset with a focus on Jesus. So where do we really belong? Verse 20 there says, our citizenship is in heaven. If you've put your trust and faith in Christ and repented from your sins and invited Christ to come in and forgive you for your sins and take over your life and give you eternal life, then your home is not earth any longer. Your home and your citizenship is in heaven. I love this old church hymn called, This World Is Not My Home. This world is not my home, and I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So let's say that you're one of the few who's blessed to be able to live a hundred years on planet earth. I want to challenge you the next time you go to the beach, pick up a hundred grains of sand. Each one of those grains represents one year on planet earth. I actually did that. Would you be impressed if you knew that I went to Galveston this week to collect a hundred pieces of sand? Well, don't be. I went in my backyard <laughs> 20 years ago. My son wanted a sand volleyball court, so we teamed up together and built a sand volleyball court. Now that they're grown and gone, it's become the biggest um, sand playpen for our grandkids ever. But think about that for a minute. A hundred years on earth, now look up and down the beach, and every other grain of sand represents one year in eternity. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Our citizenship is in heaven. And see, God left us here for a purpose. 
He could have taken us up to heaven when we got saved, but he's left us here, even though we're citizens of heaven, to be ambassadors, to live our life loving the people that God created, being salt and light and agents of change in helping them understand the things of God. Well, where should we place our hope? Verse 2021. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, not only in the coming of the Lord, but in the Lord who is coming. Well, you say, well, when is he coming back? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. All I do know is we're closer right now than we've ever been. And then verse 21 He's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Wow. When Jesus comes back, we're going to get an extreme makeover. He's going to give us a new glorious body. I was joking around just earlier today with a man my age, and we were talking about all our ailments, neck pain, back pain, hip pain. We were like, man, this getting old is hard work, isn't it? But I've complained about my pains to people in their 70s and 80s, and guess what they say? Just wait. (laughs) Just wait. And so these earthly bodies are deteriorating. They're wasting away. But Jesus says he's going to give us a transformed, glorious body. No more diets, exercise, vitamins, supplements, medicine, chemo, surgical procedures. A body fit for heaven. And then as we wrap up chapter 4 verse 1, what should we do in the meantime? Stand firm. Stand firm. Stay focused. Stay totally surrendered. Stay totally dependent. Continue to flex your spiritual muscles. Read your Bible every day. Pray. Fellowship with other Christians. Give. Serve. Until the Lord returns or until he calls us home you know usually you can tell where a person is from by the way they talk how many of you can tell that I was born and raised in Texas come on (laughs) if I got Paul Kidney to come up here and ask him to say one sentence for those of you who know him where would he show that he's from New York City New York City cop moved to Texas but you know a part from any kind of local accents, when people hear me talk, I want them to be able to tell that heaven is my home. What about you? So we're going to begin to trans, uh, transition into the Lord's Supper now, but as we do, the band's are going to come up, and I would like to pray for us. And so let's pray together. Father, thank you for the godly role models that you've put in our lives. Lord, thank you that you love us so much. You want the best for us, and you want us to walk with you closely. And as we walk with you closely, you will fill our joy tank and help us to feel that sense of satisfaction and peace and contentment. And Lord, we realize that there are people in our lives that have probably not been the best examples, and and quite honestly, their influence in our lives have caused us to drift from you. Lord, show us what we need to do in in these relationships. Lord, as we move forward, help us to have a mindset for eternity with our hope in you. 
because our citizenship is really not here. It's in heaven. But Lord, while we remain here as many years as you've called us to remain here, live your life through us in such a way to influence others for their good and for your glory. Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are participating this morning in the Lord's Supper. If you're a guest with us today, we practice what's called open communion. And what that means is whether you're a member of this church or not, whether you're a Baptist or not, if you're someone who's put your personal faith and trust in Christ for your salvation and you've been saved, we invite you to join with us. Uh, The bread symbolizes Jesus' body and the juice symbolizes Jesus' blood. And so why do we participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, one reason we do is to remember, to stop and remember all that Jesus has done for us, all that he went through the night before he was crucified, the day he was crucified, the empty tomb. It's a time to stop and push everything else off to the side and think about Jesus and what he did for us. You know, the night before he was crucified, he knew he was going to be executed the next day. And he went out and prayed. And the Bible says that he was overwhelmed with sorrow. He knew he was going to die. The Bible says that he sweat. His sweat was like drops of blood. Have you ever been so stressed out that when you sweat, drops of blood came out? That can actually happen. There's a medical condition called hermatidrosis where under conditions of great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can rupture, thus mixing blood with perspiration. Wow. And Jesus was so overwhelmed, he even cried out to God. He said, God, if there's any way Would you take this cup from me? In other words, Lord, if there's any chance you got a plan B, I would sure love for you to pull plan B up as plan A. But then he said, but Lord, not my will. Your will be done. And he went to the cross. And what's so amazing to me is that he died for you and he died for me as sinners. We didn't even deserve God's forgiveness and Jesus' death on the cross. But he loved us so much. He did this for us. Beaten with reeds, slapped, flogged, whipped with the cat of nine tails, the crown of thorns, spat upon, insulted, mocked, humiliated, ridiculed, and rejected. Carrying his cross, the nails through his hands and feet, the spear in his side, all for you and all for me. So the Lord's Supper is a time to stop and pause and remember all Jesus has done for us. But not only is it a time to remember, it's a time to reflect and release 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven through 29 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks of the cup without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts. If there's any grievous way inside of me, lead me to the way everlasting. And so before we receive the Lord's Supper, we're encouraged to pause and reflect and look down inside. Is there anything inside of us that we haven't confessed? Is there anything between us and the Lord? Before you receive the elements, make that right with God. And so let's pause for just a minute or so and look down inside and confess and whatever may not be right between you and the Lord, let's get that right now. So not only is the Lord's Supper a time to remember what Jesus has done for us, not only is it a time to reflect, but it's also a time to receive. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.